Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. We thank you for every person that's here. God, we want to encounter your presence. We want to learn from your scriptures. God, we're still today. God, teach us that we are not the ones who produce. It is you. We are not the ones with the greatest plans or goals. God, I pray that we would be still and know that you are God today. And more than that, may we realize that your word is powerful, that it's pertinent. And God, it is still relevant and real today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. So with that, many of you guys have, who have been here the last few weeks, I've been in this um, series, and it's called Most Tatted. Okay? Now, really what I was going at is essentially um, context behind some of the most popular tattoos. So the first week we did Jeremiah 29, 11, which, you know, is like the most tattooed phrase for, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. The only problem is everybody gets that tattooed, not realizing it was written to people who were in bondage and in exile, whose towns had been burned down, and then ultimately prayed to God to, for deliverance. And he said, hey, you're here for 70 years, right? So how many of you guys know, yeah, sign me up for that tattoo. God, take me into bondage. <laughs> Literally, not really kind of who cares um so jeremiah 29 11 and then last week we did john 3 16 but really john 3 16 is through the lens of john 3 which is nicodemus and what um actually happened right before john 3 16 is nicodemus trying to figure out what in the heck jesus is saying doing and everything and then jesus giving the 24 word response just that sums up all of the gospel but more than that there are and specific instances in John 3 before John 3, 16 that are vitally important to us as believers. So the first two weeks were Jeremiah 29, 11, John 3, 16, and then this week we are going to do the famous, the infamous Philippians 4, 13. Uh, how many of you can do all things through Christ? Uh, it's like I have a word. It's like... So, and then next week, it's actually funny. I, this wasn't even on my list, but yesterday I just got a crazy download where I wasn't even studying for a message or anything on Psalms 23, which is another super famous, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, alpha and no evil. So we're going to do Psalms 23. And my goal is this. I believe for a lot of us, we've been raised in the church and we've been raised in the understanding of, of biblical um, standard and, and, and study. But at the same time, contextually, we have to understand that to pull out verses without actually understanding what's going on around the verses pulls away from a lot of the meaning. And so today, actually, Philippians 4.13 is a story, and, and really the subtitle today is this, of contentment, gratitude, and generosity. Contentment, gratitude, and generosity. This is the framework of where Philippians 4.13's backdrop is. And really my challenge to you today is, I, there's this incredible book, um, it's called A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers. And it's an incredible book, but I was thinking about it in the context of what we're talking about today. Because if I were to ask you, are you content? 
We are raised and bred in culture to never be content. And almost to say you're content would be to say that you're settling. And I want to say this to you today. This contentment is in Proverbs. I've been challenged recently. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it mean to be godly and to be content and then experience the great gain he has for you? So contentment, right? Philippians 4.13, we're going to talk about contentment and newsflash to our Western civilization. It doesn't fit the narrative of American and Westernized contentment. You'll see in a second. Gratitude. What does it mean to be grateful? Philippians 4.13 and the, and the, the direct kind of around it passages. You see that Paul is just oozing the spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. If I were to ask you today, before we even get into it, are you a thankful person? Are you a grateful person? Is that something people would describe you as? Because in Philippians 4.13, that is an underpinning of what he's speaking on. And the last one, gener- generosity, and in, in my humble opinion, Philippians 4.13, the entirety of the text is around generosity. And so we'll get into that later, but I would ask you the question, are you a faithfully generous person? So with that, I wanted to tell a quick story because I always do in the beginning uh, of the sermon to kind of figure out where we're going today. Mainly because I think for me, when we talk about contentment, gratitude, and generosity, what I'm really trying to communicate is this idea today that as a body of believers, we can follow the Spirit, and in that place, He will illuminate things for us to do, say, or be a part of that add fulfillment. And I think in all honesty, this is the unspoken thing we're all chasing, fulfillment. I think this is the thing that whether you're a believer or not, a follower of Jesus or not, no no matter what religion you're a part of, the word that we all are wondering how we can get it and live it that nobody says or talks about is how do we live fulfilled? How do we experience fulfillment in which we feel complete and whole? And I think that this comes from the Spirit. This comes from living out what it means to be a a follower of Jesus. But to start this place, I'll never forget, this is probably six or seven years ago, I was going through Taco Bell drive-thru, which is always a terrible decision. How many of you have been to Taco Bell drive-thru in the last week? Raise your hand so we can shun you. Jason, really? Jason, you have a wife and kids, man. Like, I get it if you're younger, but, dude, you have options here. I still love you, but don't do that again. I worry about you. What'd you order is the real question. Chipotle Ranch grilled chicken burrito. At least it's grilled. At least it's grilled. At least it's grilled. I was going through Taco Bell, and I was with one of my really, really good friends named John Paul, and we were, uh, we were going through Taco Bell, and I remember we get done, and this is in February in Michigan, so it's cold. So we get done going through the drive-thru, and I, I remember I'm pulling off to the side, and I'm watching a lady walk out in her full Taco Bell attire. She's walking out the door, and as she walks out the door, she turns right down the sidewalk, and she's walking. Now, it's cold, and she's in a short sleeve with an apron, and she's just walking on her phone. And I felt like the Lord told me in that second, he said, Mike, I want you to go give that person a ride home. So I looked at John, and I said, hey, guess what? We got a little little, uh, sidetrack here. 
So I pull up to this lady and immediately, whenever you pull up, it's in our town, especially if you pulled up on somebody like that, you need a ride. They're like, yeah, right. Like, get away from me. But she looked at us and she was like, you know, I'll, I'll take a ride. So I pick her up and as I pick her up and she gets in our car, we start driving and I ask her where she's going. And she said, oh, I'm going to, to Benton Heights. And I said, Benton Heights. That's like almost, ten, it's like 10 miles away from where we were. And I go, were you walking to a trailer ride? No. Were you walking to like, because there's no Ubers in the town we're from. Like, it's tiny. It's 10,000. Like, we're, oh no, I was walking home. 10 miles. How'd you get to work? I walked there. 10 miles. How long have you been doing this? I got this job a month ago for my two kids, and I've been walking 10 miles there and back every single day. You want to talk about framing contentment? You want to talk about assessing your life through like, oh my gosh. She said, I got this job because the the father of my kids ultimately left, and I didn't have a car or anything, and so I just needed a job. Got a full-time job at Taco Bell. I'm just saving up for a car right now, and my kids are are with my mom, and I just walk, and my mom's at my house. She lives next door. She doesn't have a car either, and so ultimately I walk to and from work every day, and I have been doing it for a month. And I said, how long does it take you? And she says, about two hours and 20 minutes one way. One way, two hours and 20 minutes. So you do the math, four hours and 40 minutes of walking to work every time she has a shift. Now, immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, God, obviously there's a reason you told me to pick this person up. Obviously, there's a reason that you told me to take this person home. And I remembered my buddy was selling a car for 1500 bucks. So I just, as we drove her home, dropped her off, I looked at her and I said, hey, we'll be back tomorrow with a car for you. And she looked at me and she was like, what? She said, it's not a crazy car. And hopefully it lasts. (laughs) It's like, hey, I'm going to give you a broken down car. (laughs) Actually, just keep it. Just keep it. (laughs) But I looked at her and I think she just didn't believe me. And so literally I called my friend. I'm like, hey, so I just gave your car away. (laughs) I just gave your car away. Oh, do you want any money for it? Or like, how are we going to work this out? And my friend, I end up telling my friend this story, and his name's Ben. He's an incredible guy. And um, ultimately, Ben's like, no, it's fine. Let's actually give her this car. So the next day, we drove, me, Ben, and John, we drove Ben's car and gave her a car. And I can tell you this. The reason I tell that story is not for you to be like, wow, the pastor's actually the, a good guy. <laughs> I tell you that story because... See, for for me, and when we talk about fulfillment, when we talk about contentment, when we talk about gratitude, when we talk about generosity, there's a faithful rhythm and there's an impulsive rhythm. The faithful attributes in which we are developing spiritual maturity and the impulsive attribute in which we posture our hearts to say, God, whatever you say and whatever you ask in any moment, my ears are listening. And I think so often what we do in our culture is we systemize everything down to brass tacks. And I kind of talked about this in, in, I think actually last week, I don't remember. (laughs) 
But we try to systemize everything. And what we're doing is is our hearts are craving that fulfillment of of God using us in the world. And God's saying, I'm trying to. Are your ears open? Are your eyes open? And are your hearts willing? So what I want to do is I want to break down, right, Philippians 4.13. But before we do, I want you to understand context is key. And for a lot of us, we want the power to do all things, but not the contentment that comes in Christ when the things we want done aren't coming to fruition how we envisioned. See, that's the story of Philippians 4.13. God, I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what we don't understand is there was a lot of things that Paul was believing for, and they came to fruition, but the timing was interesting when we started it down. The understanding was interesting. How God did it was interesting. But there was a contentment, a gratitude, and a generosity that through the highs and the lows of life, Paul sets an example for all of us. So with that, Philippians 4, 10, it says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Essentially, what's going on here is Paul is thanking them for, for essentially, there's, there's gifts that the, the church of Philippi has been giving to him. In this, he's saying, listen, you re, you've revived your concern to provide for my needs, and there's an opportunity for you to do that. Verse 10, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Receive that for a second. Have you learned in your relationship with God how to be content in every circumstance you've ever been in? Man, that's, that just sounds overwhelming. Contentment in everything. Let's keep reading because it gets even better. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering. Hold on a second, right? When we start talking about like, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then Paul's like, oh, by the way, I've learned how to get through being starving and being full, being poor and having prosperity. Once again, we're all like, God, help me do the all things. And God's like, okay, I'll help you. But there may be nights where you're hungry. There may be situations where there's suffering. Hold on. Whoa. I don't know if I want that gospel, Lord. Like, chill. But this is what I'm trying to frame Philippians 4.13 because the spectrum isn't just always good. And contentment is just not this always good feeling that we have. And fulfillment is not just this always good thing that's always a part of us. It's a learning rhythmically and with a patterned lifestyle how to live in God in seasons of plenty and seasons of little, in seasons of suffering and in seasons of wholeness, in seasons of prosperity and in seasons or being content. Let's keep reading. It says this. And I want to actually read 12 because it's like fantastic going into 13 again. I know how to get along with humble means and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
Literally, the verse before is about hunger and suffering with contentment. And this is the verse after. So our context today is next time you see the tattoo is to walk up to somebody and ask them if they would be content, starving, or suffering. (laughs) Because that is what this verse, what precedes this verse. Let's keep reading because it gets even better. 14, nevertheless, you have done everything well to share with me in my affliction. What we see historically is they've taken up an offering to send to Rome when he was imprisoned to provide him for his needs and support his ministry. You yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Right after Philippians 4.13, 4.14 onward is all about how grateful he is for the generous spirit of the church of Philippi. Let's keep reading because I needed you to understand that framework. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Then we got another famous one. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. I've heard that one quoted a lot, but how about this? How many of us want our riches and glory provided for without having a generous spirit of what that provision comes from? See, once again, all we're talking about in Philippians 13 is this understanding of contentment, gratitude, which you can see that this passage is dripping with thankfulness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you. I've learned to to be content, but thank you for your generosity, right? Contentment, gratitude, generosity. See, Philippians 4.13 is not just this, this magic pill that we take whenever we're just in a season and trial of God. I know that you can do all things. It's rather this understanding and challenge that, God, you can do all things from a place of gratitude, from a place of contentment, from a place of generosity. And even when the all things include suffering and hunger, I still believe that I can do all things. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about how you can be content, generous, and grateful all at the same time in your life in Christ. How can we be content, generous, and grateful? And I'm going to say this. These are all things that the church should see in. And what I mean by that, and this isn't a critical element because I'm going to play devil's advocate. In some ways, the the hierarchy leadership structure of American church has, has sown a level of distrust in the people who come to church relating to the importance and if we act, I actually live it. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you from the frame of mind that, yes, we, we live in a place where there has been a fallen men who have led and, and ministries that have fallen that are famous and people know. But more than that, I believe that God is reinstituting the people who have a non-anxious presence around contentment, gratitude, and generosity that in our world is so rare that it can only be a light in the darkness. 
Like, here, I'm going to be honest with you. When I grew up, when I was growing up, I was huge on evangelism. I still am. But a lot of the time what happens is when I close the distance with somebody who does not have a, a, a relationship with God, most of the time the distance is closed is because they can't believe somebody can function so content, so at peace, so joyful, with thankfulness. Somebody who could be generous. These, these qualities that just don't exist in our world, there's a reason they're talked about in the Bible. So what I want to do is I want to challenge us, right? How do we be content, generous, and grateful all at the same time with your life in Christ? The first thing, certainties and perfect circumstances do not dictate contentment. You must learn to live it. You know, I say this in C3, but one of the earliest words that I got about our church was this. I was struggling in Michigan, living where I was. And what I mean by that is we'd been structured to kind of take over this church, and it was going great. And we had all our friends, all our family. Everything was awesome. But here's the thing. I had all certainty, and I had no peace. I couldn't sleep at night. I was feeling anxiety and just different things that I'd never experienced before. And here's the deal. As I remember one night I woke up and I felt like the Lord told me this. He said, Mike, I'm calling you to a place with, from a place of all certainty and no peace to a place of all peace, but no certainty. And I want to say this to you today. How many of us are not feeling peace, but everything in our world is certain? Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Faith is not a certainty, but it's a peace. And I want to challenge you within this mindset because I think a lot of us is we've prioritized the illusion of certainty over a spirit of contentment. See, the certainty in Paul was not to go to Rome, But the contentment is, Paul, is even though I may be starving in Rome, I have peace that I've followed God here. And I want to say this to you today is I can tell you this. I've never been in a season with more uncertainty than the one I'm living in right now as a a man. Me and my wife have never been in a place where it's so it's certain, but it's pretty uncertain. Okay, God, yeah, we've got an agreement on our building, but like we're going to be able to get our building. Are our owners going to be able to honor the agreement for our building? Are you going to provide the people who will support and serve the vision of Fixate, not just for a season, but for a lifetime? Because this isn't a short-term aspect. Are you going to provide for our means? Are you going to make sure that we're... See, certainty, when you start thinking about it, there's a reason maybe some of us are anxious, is because all we focused on is certainty. All we focused on is this circumstantial, certain element we can pursue and live in. But then we wonder why we don't have peace in it. And I want to say this to you. Now, there, are, there can be ways where you live with certainty within the circumstance and experience peace. But you cannot sacrifice the faith element of your life for the certain element that we crave of control. And wonder why we don't sense the presence of God. Faith is outside of our own hands, outside of our own hearts and minds a lot of the time. And it's tapping into something more that's rewarding and fulfilling. So with that, the first thing, right? 
Certainties and perfect circumstances do not dictate contentment. You must learn. You must learn it to live it. The second, we want the ability to do all things. But have we shown God we can be generous in all things? I love this because Apostle Paul, if you actually read, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you want me to paraphrase it, but boy, am I thankful for your generosity so I can be supported and the ministries can advance. I'll never forget this. When I was uh, 23, me and my dad, I, I, I fixed up and sold my first flip house, which for some of you guys are like, wow, that's cool. You like did investment stuff. No, it was awful. <laughs> But I did well on it, but man, I, yeah, people who do that, good for you. <laughs> but I sold my first flip house and I was challenged because I had never in my life had more money in my bank account up to that point. And the challenge was, Micah, am I going to be generous with this? And I'll never forget, I felt challenged to support, to give 5% to my church and then 5% to different ministries. And that day I was cash apping my friends and my account got so flagged by cash app that they flocked it for 30 days. They're like, dude, you've never sent more than $10. We know you're poor. <laughs> we, we know you're poor. Like, don't act like you're sending out thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no. Somebody got your information in Tokyo. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm trying to say today is this. Is I think for a lot of us, right, is we want this understanding that we have the ability to do all things, but God wants to see if we'll also be generous in the all things he's currently given us. And for me even, I, I felt challenged, you know, I, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us here at Fixate, but boy am I grateful for those who have shown faithful generosity to support a little church in downtown full of a lot of young people. And trust that the fish and the loaves will provide for the crowds. And I think so often what we do is, when we signed up to step out in faith and lead this church, we didn't do a a feasibility study of the economical. And believe me, that's pretty common. What we knew is God called us to downtown Phoenix. What we knew is that we were targeting certain demographics of people who we felt like would carry the next expression of what we felt the church in America would look like. What we knew God would do is he would provide a means and a place for that, and we trusted him with everything else. And I can tell you this, fulfillment on the other side is I risked everything, and he came through every time. And I want to say this to you today, one of the early words for the church, also for me when I was struggling a year and a half with the decision is I felt like the Lord said, Mike, I'm going to take you to a, from a place of awe, from knowledge that you can preach from to a place of sacrifice that so few will actually know. Because in our culture, what we're all about is developing a knowledge of God, but not an obedience in sacrifice in which we actually experience him in his fullness. See, if Jesus walked the earth and just dropped knowledge, nothing changes. But when Jesus walked the earth and sacrificed, everything did. And I think a lot of us, right, we want all the knowledge of God, but none of the sacrifice of him. And we're wondering why we haven't sensed the full identity of who he is. 
You know, and I, I, I'm skeptical to even say this, but I just want to bring it up because Malachi 3.10 is the most weaponized aspect of generosity in the Old Testament. And it's not weaponized within the, like, shaming aspect. It's weaponized within the, like, ma- manipulative control, make sure you give, because if so, God will open up the storehouse of heaven, right? I'm going to read it really quick. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food. <laughs> there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. See, sacrifice is not us giving, believing that God will, will pour out the sacrifice. Rather, it's what if the sacrifice he's pouring out is not a superficial one. But it's one that your heart has always wanted. And I think this is what's sad and destructive about prosperity culture is the idea that God gives you um, just the stuff. Like God doesn't know actually what your heart truly needs. And I would much rather have God give me what he knows my heart needs than what man classifies as success and superficiality. See, I want to challenge you in your sacrifice. Your sacrifice isn't for him to open the windows of heaven and build your storehouse. Your sacrifice is for him to open the windows of heaven and shower the blessing on the storehouse of your spirit. That brings a fulfillment in the personhood that you are, that you've been craving. See, sacrifice is not this, God, I give and then this is what I get. It's I give and I trust that you know my desires. And you don't withhold a good thing from your children. The third thing, rhythms of grateful reflection and response will diffuse a heart of regret and bitterness if you allow it, invite it, and discipline yourself to do it. See, the reason I wrote this out is because I want to read so you understand how you can posture gratefulness. Allowing it is first. It's a conscious decision to choose to be great, to be a grateful person. Allow yourself to even be grateful. The second thing, invite the spirit to lead you out in impulsive, out loud thanks to God. And the last one, discipline. Journal one day a week how thankful you are for God and his leading. God, grateful doesn't show up unless you show up to develop it. A lot of us, we're wondering why we're ungrateful is because we've never had a posture of gratefulness. It's like, God, wow, why am I so bitter? It's like, well, you haven't said anything good in six years. <laughs> it's, it's like, you, you haven't like actually sat there and said like, thank you, Father, for breath in my lungs. Like, thank you. Like sitting in my home, thank you that you have given me this for space in which I can breathe and be. Thank you for all that you've done. Having moments where you literally assess where your life was and where your life is. I promise you, if you can posture yourself in gratefulness. And I challenge you because I think a lot of us, what we're worried about is just getting over the next hurdle, getting over the next hurdle, getting over the next hurdle. And God's like, hey, can you look back and remember when you couldn't clear one? Rhythms of grateful reflection and response that diffuse a heart of regret and bitterness. Rhythms of grateful reflection that diffuse a heart of regret and bitterness. Some of us were in this room and we're feeling the heart of regret and bitterness. Heart of regret and bitterness. 
And the challenge to you today is to understand that you can diffuse that at any time with rhythms of grateful reflection. The last thing is this. Gratitude, generosity, and contentment show spiritual maturity more than gifting ever could. Choose character development over gifting development. Matthew 25, 14 through verse 29 is a passage on the parable of the talents. Many of us have heard of the parable of talents where the, the master is leaving town and he gives one servant five, the next two, and the next one. But what we know more than anything is that he comes back and as the people with the, parable, with the talent of five and the talent of two have doubled what they were given, there's one man who buried what was given. In being buried, he brings it back to the master, and the master says, you wicked and lazy servant, throws him out into the place of gnashing of teeth. It's a really interesting story, but many of us don't understand fully that a talent is not just something of worth, it's something of weight. And I want to say this to you today, because I think a lot of us, right, is we think of the talents of God has given a financial means of reproduction and not a weight that we must carry in reproducing what he's given us. And I want to say this to you today, right? Is it's both a physical weight and a financial value was given to the servants, ser- the servants. And in all honesty, if we boil it down, the one who buried his talents only did it because it was easier to bury it and not lose it than to carry it and trust God to make something of it. And I want to say this, in Christianity, it's easy to just bury the principles of God in our lives than carry it out in a world and trust God to call out in obedience and faithfulness a life that can reproduce the talent given. And I want to challenge all of us today, why is it in the Christian faith we stuff down gratitude, generosity, and contentment and not use them to reproduce a life of fruit for others to see the goodness and the provision of God? Character development will pay out more than your gift development if you allow room in your life for it. And I challenge you today. If you're sitting in this room and the the principles of God have been buried in your heart and you know they're there, but you can assess them equally and say, man, they haven't produced anything in a while. What's next? Because there's an awareness, yes, that yes, the principles are there, but what are they producing? Because believe it or not, production is not this word of just, oh, I'm going to be I don't have time, I don't have this, I don't have that. What you might find is that the sacrifice brings the contentment because you're living out the wholeness of what the Creator purchased. Once again, knowledge of God is great. But if Jesus just walked around dropping knowledge, we wouldn't be here today. It's sacrifice that was something more. And I pray today that you, as somebody who who follows um, the Lord and is in this place, that you would challenge yourself on contentment, challenge yourself on gratitude, challenge yourself on generosity. Because from this, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Stand to your feet.
you've been here before, you know I kind of read a prayer over everybody in this room that synopsizes all of the sermon. So whatever your posture for receiving is, I pray that this meets you. God, today, would you give your children a heart of contentment? One that trusts that even in the suffering and in hunger, you're in control. Would you give your heart, your children, a heart of generosity? One in which we know we are just carriers of kingdom resource and that we would be ones who personally and faithfully partner with kingdom mission as a pillar of our personhood. God, today teach us gratitude for the world's sake and for ours in which we model what it means to carry a spirit of thanksgiving in a world that doesn't seem grateful for anything. God, we want to be able to accomplish all things through you. Teach us how to be generous in the all things as a prerequisite. May we be a people who when others get around us, they feel something different. A ship that doesn't sink within the rise and fall of country and economy. A heart that does not doubt in seasons of much or seasons of little. And a presence that rejoices whether the stomach is full or it's empty. God, may we be unwavering and unflinching in our commitment to stay the course of contentment, generosity, and gratefulness. We do not get graduate from elementary and Sunday school principles. Today, we make a decision to reprioritize, re-energize, and reestablish in obedience to you in these areas. Give us strength for the all things. And we will handle the little things you place in our hands and in our paths in a world looking for a new example, as all other models are running aground today, we set the course and lay blueprints for a church and body of believers to be generous, grateful, and content. In Jesus' name.